strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. As always, the conversation about budgets and deficits and um, raising the debt ceiling continues on. Um, President Biden recently amplifying his attack against Republicans. He was in in Florida talking about this. Uh, Speaking in Tampa, he outlined his administration's plan to safeguard the popular entitlement programs. Um, And as part of an ongoing war of words with his Republican opponents. And so uh, this... um, This is interesting. I want you to hear the difference uh, between President Biden and Senator Biden because there is some old – there's an old video, and I've I've just taken a piece of this. I think the whole thing is a little over two minutes long in this clip, but it is Senator Biden – Remember, now a Democrat talking about reining in spending and reducing spending and a balanced budget, but he talks about hurting himself politically and what he was proposing and pushing for. Now, remember, he is criticizing and saying that Republicans are trying to get rid of Social Security and Medicare. Listen to this. When I argued that we should freeze federal spending, I meant Social Security as well. I meant Medicare and Medicaid. I meant veterans. I meant every single solitary thing in the government. And I not only tried it once, I tried it twice, I tried it a third time, and I tried it a fourth time. Somebody has to tell me in here how we're going to do this hard work without dealing with any of those sacred cows. Hmm. You got to remember, if you have a long memory, these things always come back. So what is the difference? People change their mind. This was years and years ago. But a pretty emphatic statement by a Democrat that we need to balance the budget and rein in spending. Specifically, he mentioned all of the projects now that they are using to demonize people on the other side of the aisle and say that they – that these are the Republicans are going after your safety net. Here he is saying not only to do it once, not twice, not three times, but four different times he wanted to go after those programs as a part of balancing the budget. How much of our budget is spent on these programs? And I will tell you this, and I want to be very clear so it's not misconstrued. We've made promises to the American people. There are men and women who have been paying into Social Security for their entire working lives. And it is not just a safety net. Safety net it's a lifeline. And we've got to keep our promises to those people. No doubt about it. But when you're looking at a system that is failing, how do you fix it? How do we fully fund it? How do we make sure it's there? Do we look at options? And anybody who dares say, can we look at options? Is there an option of an opt-out for a young person that says, I would rather have that exact same money withheld from my account and put into a mandatory retirement account? And I'll take my chances with Wall Street before I will with Washington. And you know that's never going to happen because it ruins the Ponzi scheme and the pyramid scheme that we've got going on right now. But at some point, you've got to have those difficult conversations. Just because I'm saying what I'm saying doesn't mean I want to end those programs. I'm 55 years old. I'm almost 56. I'm closer to 56 than I am to 55. You know what I mean? My 55th birthday. So it's not that far away in my future that I will have some reliance or at least that availability of that being there for me. But I also have children. 
And I've got grandchildren. And I think about what is their future going to be like? How much of the American budget is going to be taken up in these programs? And unless we start dropping this, and this is what's frustrating for me about this president and how I've been so critical. This president stood up and said when he was running for president because of who he was running against, I am a Democrat, but I will be a president for all Americans. Here he is now. As a matter of fact, Bernie Sanders said the other day, this guy's been much more progressive as a president than he was as a senator. But Senator Biden, all those years ago, stood up in front of the United States Senate and all of his colleagues and said, we got to stop this. Even veterans benefits. He said all of it. Everything we do, even these sacred cows. What's changed? What's changed? In his opinions, is this political rhetoric? Do they understand that because people on the right side of the aisle are saying we have to look for alternatives because these programs are running out of money? So we have to find alternatives or we have to find ways to fund them because it's bankrupting America. Somehow that's spun into they want to end the programs. And for anybody out there that's floated the idea of ending the programs, anyone who has done that. They have been demonized. This is what President Biden said decades ago as Senator Biden. He has contradicted himself. He talks about the deficit reduction. We have not we have not uh, at all impacted our deficit. We are still spending in a deficit. I've used the analogy before for anybody out there. You know what couples fight about sex and money? Well, when it comes to money, one usually one of the partners is responsible with money and is the saver and the other one is the spender. I'm the spender in my life. I am someone, I am an experienced person. I'm not a possession person. I would rather go do something than buy something. That's just how I, I'd rather live in an empty house and have adventures all over the country than a house full of antique furniture that looks beautiful. That's just my lifestyle. That's the way I like to live. But I'm not the one who is responsible fiscally. And when couples fight about money, if one of them is if the one that pays the bills and is the one responsible for the budget says, hey, listen, we've uh, we have to be careful here because you just racked up three thousand dollars in in bills three thousand dollars in credit card bills this month and the next month you only rack up fifteen thousand or fifteen hundred you didn't cut your deficit by fifty percent what you are doing is still spending at a fifteen hundred dollar a month deficit that's ridiculous And so we've got a long way to go. We have an absolute long way to go. So it isn't just us against them all the time, but it's frustrating because if I can find these things, if they're available to me out there, they're available to everyone. We are supposed to have a healthy suspicion of the people that lead us. It doesn't matter what party's in power. You know, I'm I'm certainly would never tell a journalist how to do their job. It's not my, I don't want them telling me how to do mine. I'm not telling them how to do theirs. But if we are going to be critical and we are going to hold people's feet to the fire, if you have a president that says, I'm a Democrat, but I'll be a president for all all Americans, and then he goes he launches into these attacks on people for political capital, you have to call him into question about it. And then when you find audio from years ago where he sounds like the Republicans that he's so uh, demonizing, you have to call it into question. Why is it not okay to question it? I think it's absolutely – I think it's required. In a moment, we shift to the border. I'm in New York City, and the mayor of New York is upset with Governor DeSantis of Florida and his trip to New York City. We'll talk about that coming up in a moment.
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I appreciate it as always. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Uh, interesting story of what happened um, here in uh, in New York as um, we are seeing uh, this interesting thing that happened with the uh, uh, the mayor of New York being upset for with Governor DeSantis making his way to New York City uh, talking about um, immigration. Uh, he called him a lying clown. New York City mayor ripped after mocking DeSantis during pro-cop visit. So this is uh, interesting. I watched this interview with Governor DeSantis yesterday morning, and he's talking immigration, and he's also talking police officers. Um, this is something that's pretty special to me and a little bit more, and I, I certainly don't want to speak for my family. I'm giving you my perspective of what I've seen, and I'm not talking about their opinions. But my brother is a captain with the sheriff's office in my hometown in southwest Florida in Fort Myers. Florida. My sister-in-law, his wife, is a deputy in the sheriff's office. They both have been in that sheriff's office for well over 20 years. They love what they do. Um, and what Governor DeSantis has done for law enforcement in Arizona is huge. Um, I have had my brother's boss, the sheriff of Lee County. Um, his name is Carmine Marcino. I've had him on my show a number of times. He's been on national news. And there have been some sheriffs in Florida that say some things. Now, you got to remember that a sheriff, uh, especially when – well, I'm saying not especially, but a sheriff is an elected official. A sheriff answers to the voters of that county. They don't answer to a city council or a city manager. They're not an appointed position. They're an elected position, which gives them a lot more freedom to speak. And they are a lot more vocal. I don't know what it is about Florida, but they are vocal in Florida about what happens. After Hurricane Ian devastated southwest Florida, um, uh, Sheriff Marcino came out and said, hey, listen, this is Florida. If you're going to loot here, you're going to end up being carried out. You're going to die. We will shoot you. And not the sheriff's office, the citizens of Lee County. Um, And so they are a little bit more vocal in their opinions. They're a little bit more vocal in doing that. But what Governor DeSantis is doing is pretty interesting because he is going out to places like New York City. He is going to Chicago. He's going to these other – he's going on a whirlwind tour. Now, he was asked the question in the interview, are you doing this as a recruiting venture or as someone that is laying the groundwork for a possibility at running for president. And everybody kind of laughed. You wouldn't make the announcement. But, of course, that's part of what he's doing. And anybody who would be running for president would do it. So the, the criticism is ridiculous if it's about that. But we do know that New York City, NYPD, and I, I got to tell you, I, I ran into a couple of cops yesterday, and uh, it's a, it's cool to see the NYPD. Um, it, it is, uh, it is ob- I think it's obviously outside of maybe the Texas Rangers, it is the, the most well-known or publicized law enforcement agency in the country. And uh, NYPD Blue is one of my favorite TV shows. But talking to cops from New York, they've got cops directing traffic and, you know, at busy times of the day. And they are losing. They are hemorrhaging employees. It is about crime rates. It is about lack of punishment and a lack of enforcement of laws. It also had a lot to do with COVID vaccines. There were a lot of officers that said, nope, we aren't doing it. And so what Governor DeSantis did was he decided, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to these places and I'm going to let them know you've got a home in Florida, that there has been a mass exodus of very wealthy people from New York, but also other parts of the of the Northeast and the Midwest that have gone to Florida. They are they are 
leaps and bounds they are growing by in the state of Florida. And he's saying you've got a job there. Now, I think that is smart, you know, for the for the agencies in, in, in the Valley, in the Phoenix area that are doing a lot of recruiting. To have the governor go out on your behalf and say, hey, listen, if you're looking for a place, this is a pretty good place. We know that the immigration issue is still huge. We're a border state. And for Arizona, this is an everyday, day-in, day-out issue. Mayor Adams has kind of seen the light. He is not going to be uh, complimentary of uh, former Governor Ducey or of Governor Abbott. He's not going to, certainly not DeSantis. But what ends up happening is you start seeing when you're dealing with it. You know, I'm here in Manhattan, and there was a story just the other day I was watching locally, and it might have been a national story, but I saw it on a local channel, that um, in New York City, the largest Holiday Inn, the tallest Holiday Inn in the world is in New York City, and it is being used right now to house migrants. And there are a lot of migrants outside of this facility waiting to get in, and they're sleeping on the streets. And the businesses around this hotel, and there are many of them, When you, it's kind of one of the cool things about coming to New York City, is there are food trucks and coffee. You know, In the morning, I walk out of the hotel, there's a couple of food trucks cooking fresh food right on the corner, and um, you know, grab a coffee and grab something to eat on your way to wherever you're going. And um, you also see delis and you see little restaurants and cafes that are feeding the businesses around them. And when you've got a big hotel like this one is, and now what you have is filled with people that have no money and there's other people sleeping on the streets. So people that do have money aren't going there. The small businesses who I imagine are very kind hearted people, they are very aware of the plight of others, but they are being overwhelmed. They are, you know, this is their livelihood. They have put so much time and effort into these businesses and they are just falling apart. The mayor of New York is starting to deal with, on a smaller scale, what Arizona has been dealing with forever. If you look at some of the statistics in Arizona, the recently there's a hospital, a border hospital, that is saying this is unsustainable. We are just about to collapse, which means we won't be able to serve this community at all. Then you're going to have a lack of medical care for everybody, including people crossing the border illegally. This is one of those topics, whether it's public safety or it's a border issue. The, the old, tired argument that you just don't care or you don't understand just falls on deaf ears. There's right and there's wrong. It's not always right and left. And I keep saying that. But if you look at this, Governor DeSantis is right about the border or about immigration. And Governor DeSantis is right when it comes to recruiting of police officers. It's an honorable profession that men and women that do this job, if you're doing it in a major city like New York or Chicago, to go down to southwest Florida, to be in the nice weather, to go and take your years of experience working in a major metropolitan area to make communities safe in Florida. If you're the governor, shouldn't matter what party you're from, that should be a welcome sight. That men and women are going to say, let's get out of the cold, let's get away from the bureaucracy, let's go somewhere where laws are enforced, and let's go somewhere where we're a little bit more respected in our job. It's worth a pay cut, because in many cases they take them, but the quality of life goes up, the cost of living goes down, and it's not bad for a governor to do this. I think it's pretty smart. In a moment, we're going to go back to a topic, if you didn't hear it, an Arizona teacher uh, goes to the state Senate uh, Education Committee hearing and questions parents. I want you to hear. I'm gonna. I want. I'm gonna play this a few times this morning and let you hear what this teacher thinks about parents. That's coming up here in just a moment.
strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. That's right. Start spreading the news. Um, I appreciate you spending some time with us. I am in New York City in Midtown Manhattan, and I love coming to Midtown. It's the part of the city I know the best, and I'm sure that there's a lot of other places in the city, but I just like walking around. It's cool. It's a little bit cold out. It was rainy this morning, but I'm in New York. Uh, back tomorrow in Phoenix. Tomorrow, uh, wind permitting. Um, I guess I'm getting on the ground one way or the other if they let my plane take off from New York, um, but planning on being home tomorrow afternoon. Um, this uh, The subject of education has been one that's been important to me for a very long time. A couple of things here. According to the Arizona House of Representatives, they have proposed an increase in teacher salary for public schools. This was uh, Representative Gress from LD4. The Committee on Appropriations mandates that each school district and charter school, public school, increase base salary of all eligible teachers as prescribed. And it describes what that means below. Creates the Pay Teachers First Fund and appropriates a total of $1.1 billion dollars in fiscal year um, uh, 2024 and 2025 to the fund for required teacher salary increases. So um, this was voted on and all except for one Democrat voted against it. I don't know why. I'll be honest with you. Whatever the politics of it is, I don't know. But there are efforts being made just like, you know, the Republicans don't get any credit for teacher raises. But if you look at the increase in teacher pay over the last few years when it was it's been controlled by Democrat or by Republicans forever, you know, Governor Brewer and Governor Ducey, between the two of them, how many years was there a Republican governor's office and the Republican? legislature has always had a Republican I should say the legislature has always had a Republican majority but here's why school choice is so demanded by parents and other states are following Arizona's lead I talked earlier about Arkansas and Governor Sanders in Arkansas and how they have now the Arkansas Learn program that mandates teacher raises, but it also mandates school choice, no matter what your economic level is. There is an Arizona teacher that went to the Senate Appropriations Committee hearing, and she's made national news. Now, this is 41 seconds of her statement. I I think there's a level of arrogance here. Um, I think there is also a level of condescension, but it's a little bit scary when she's talking about vetting parents parents as opposed to vetting teachers. Listen to this. I have a master's degree because when I got certified, I was told I had to have a master's degree to be an Arizona certified teacher. We all have advanced degrees. What do the parents have? Are we vetting the backgrounds of our parents? Are we allowing the parents to choose the curriculum and the books that our children are going to read? I think that it's a mistake. I'm just speaking from the heart. Um, The one line that I love is, uh, we must remember that the purpose of public education is not to teach only what parents want their children to be taught. It is to teach them what society needs them to be taught. Okay, so I don't know who that quote is from, to be honest with you. I don't know whose quote that is, that it isn't the the job of public schools is not to teach kids what parents want them to learn, but what society needs them to learn or be taught, whatever. I don't know who's attributed to that quote. I don't know who that quote is attributed to, but it scares the heck out of me. She has a master's degree. What do parents have? Are we vetting parents was her next comment. How many parents, this is interesting what what the shift has been in the last few years. If you are going to create an activist and do something to someone's child, 
it creates an activist. In the worst case scenario, there was a man named John Walsh. You, you remember um, him um, doing the show where they were looking for people that were wanted. Um, his son was murdered. Adam Walsh was murdered in South Florida, and it created this life for Mr. Walsh in which he was an activist. When parents lose their children, they become activists because it's such love. And, and But when a parent feels as their child is being wronged or not given what's needed, what's required, you create activists. If you look at school boards from Scottsdale to Peoria across the valley and across the country – Parents were not well received in rooms with school boards, so parents ran for the school board. Many of you may not know this, but former Governor Brewer, Jan Brewer, she, she started in politics because of school boards, because getting on a school board. Ended up in the state legislature, ended up as a secretary of state for years, ended up as the Arizona governor. But that career in politics started as concerned about schools and wanting to be on a school board. It's a fascinating story. I should have her on the air someday to tell it. I am in favor of strong public schools, but public schools have got to be responsive to the parents that are out there. And, you know, we I understand I'm not I'm not a fool. I understand that not every parent agrees. But when we have such low reading skills and it's funny how it parallels Arkansas, Arkansas said we're no longer going to be 48th in paying teachers and only 35 percent of our third graders are reading at grade level. That's unacceptable. Sounds a lot like Arizona. And it is unacceptable that our elementary school children are being bogged down with nonsense that has no business in an elementary school in the minds of most reasonable people. And yet it's being fought for by some teachers to have this teacher stand up in that committee hearing and say that I have a master's degree. What do parents have? I think at least I hope. That every single governor that is looking to expand school choice in their state, because this transcends party. I want you to understand that when you're talking about working class families, it gets really, really diverse. We always hear about the, the very wealthy and we picture the very wealthy being very white or predominantly white. Um, but when you look at the diversity of kids in working class neighborhoods and poor neighborhoods, those kids deserve a way out too. That doesn't mean their parents aren't concerned about their education. They absolutely are. They're trapped. And we're going to untrap them. We're going to let them out. And it's just a way for parents to choose where their children are educated or how. And it doesn't even have to be a bad thing. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. How many of you have ever left a job because it just didn't fit your life? It wasn't for you. Didn't mean the boss was bad. You may have liked him. Didn't mean the job was bad. Just wasn't for you. I found a better opportunity here. I'm going. This is about power and control of dollars, plain and simple, bar none. And for this teacher to say, are we vetting parents? Parents, what books are they choosing? Do they get to choose curriculum? I would say to you, they, especially at the elementary school level, they absolutely do. We've gone out of our minds. We're putting feminine products in the boys' bathrooms. There are schools that are, are covering up and, and taping off or blocking off urinals in the name of equity and diversity and inclusion. We've got anatomical males playing in girls' sports where girls are getting injured 
playing in these sports, we are seeing an unreasonable push in a direction that parents don't want there to go. Now, I'm tolerant. You're tolerant. Most adults look at stuff like that, shrug their shoulders and say, man, this world's going crazy. When it affects their children, it's different. They won't stand for it. They'll push back against it. They'll do what's necessary. And when you have a teacher that has, when she believes that she is going to move people to her cause by standing up there and saying, we should vet parents. You got to ask yourself, how many teachers, how many people involved in the AEA or the AEU, which are the Arizona Teachers Associations, uh, how many of those people are of that mindset? Most of them. How many of them are willing to say it publicly? Not many. They've gotten very quiet recently. That doesn't mean they're done. It just means they're quiet right now. But this is a long way from over. This fight is a long way from over. We're going to talk about East Palestine, Ohio. Um, Is the water safe and the air safe? They're getting mixed messages. Should they be concerned? We'll talk about that in a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Uh, we know what we've seen happen recently with train derailments. Um, East Palestine, Ohio, trains are becoming longer and longer. People are more concerned about the danger, especially when there's hazardous cargo aboard. And a bill to limit the length of freight trains in the state of Arizona has cleared a first legislative hurdle advancing through the House Committee on Transportation. Um, so this is a story that came out uh, just uh, actually yesterday. Um the Capital Media Services reported that uh, Representative uh, Consuelo Hernandez of the bill sponsor cited the East Palestine Ohio derailment. Um, uh, Hernandez also read a letter of support from Representative Tim Dunn, a Republican from Yuma, who cited incidents when trains have blocked grade crossings for up to two hours, leading to longer routes and for first responders, while two-mile-long trains might be economic uh, possibly in the future. Uh, They are not working with current infrastructure in Arizona. So what we've had, a couple of things are happening because I don't want to demonize – um, you know the the rail companies, but what's happened in Arizona? If you've looked at our extreme growth, we understand that in the downtown area. If you look at 19th Avenue and McDowell, where they intersect with Grand Avenue, where that train hub is there. When you when you take uh, let's say um, where the train tracks come across uh, um, um, 19th Avenue, right by the Capitol Building, where the trains cross there, it can become a nightmare in those places. And in the very urban parts of town where Grand Avenue is, when those trains go through, it can really tie up traffic at inconvenient times of day. But we also understand for a long time, the big chunk of these trains were in very rural areas. I also think in Tempe, there's an area where the train crosses is it railroad um, in the or a Chandler Boulevard, wherever it's crossing, or maybe Chandler Boulevard over in Tempe, where I've seen people that have been tied up in tra- behind a train for a very long time. But this is about two different things. One is convenience, and the other is safety. And the safety part of it can be broken up into a couple things. One is first responders having to take alternate routes to get somewhere to get to someone who's been injured or having a medical situation, and the other part of it is hazardous cargo. But 
what about the residents of East Palestine, Ohio? I had this conversation last night. It was one of the big topics when I was on uh, CNN last night. Then they talked about how the consumers have a right in East Palestine, Ohio, to question the government. The government sent them some really big mixed messages. First, they said you don't qualify for FEMA support. Now FEMA is there. Then they said the water is okay, but it needs further testing. Some residents have gone so far as to have their own independent testing done. Why? Because they just don't trust what they're hearing. They don't trust the word. And when I brought up last night, I threw a monkey wrench in the whole thing is when you look at what happened with vaccines and COVID. Now, I know that this is going to start a firestorm, but I want you to think about what we've ha- what's happened over the last two years. We were told, I was told, I'm not, I'm not a stupid person. You may not agree with me, but I'm not dumb. And I, I, I can hear what people are telling me. We were told if you don't want to get or spread the COVID-19 virus, you need to get a vaccine and you need to get a booster. And I went at, to uh, State Farm Stadium at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I got vaccinated so I could get to the radio just in case the lines were long. I wanted to get there early enough that I could still get to the radio station and do my job. So I got my vaccination and my booster at State Farm Stadium. I got them the weeks apart you were supposed to. It was a decent process. And then I went back and I got another booster because we were told that was the best way to keep yourself and other people around you safe. And we were told that it would prevent the spread. If you want to prevent the spread of COVID-19, the best way to do that is for everybody to get vaccinated. And one of the things we were waiting for, if you remember, in part of the thresholds, where was that one of the thresholds was number, how much of our community, what percentage of our community is fully vaccinated. And those statistics were spewed out. And we found out later on that I wouldn't, based on the information I have now, I wouldn't have gotten the vaccine. I'm not against it. You know, I've never gotten a flu vaccine in my life. I've never gotten a flu vaccine. Why? Because there is no reasonable expectation that's going to prevent you from getting the flu, that you still have a very good chance of getting it. So I didn't want the aches and the pains and the inconvenience. I just didn't do it. And given the information we have now that we didn't have then, I would have chosen to not get the vaccine. Now, I'm not angry about it. I'm not concerned about my long-term health. I'm not saying any of those things. But what we were told by the people at the CDC, now I know it's two different divisions of the government, but what we were told by the CDC about the efficacy of the vaccine and the necessity of getting the vaccine has changed dramatically. And it, it just has. I, again, I'm not I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I got vaccinated. I've got no issue with it. But you also can't doubt the fact that we were not told the full truth by the people in charge. When that happens, people doubt and people have an absolute right to doubt. And so the more we argue about this and the people of East Palestine, Ohio, should be worried about it because the long term effects of chemicals in the Cleveland area. Um, When I was a little boy, I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, raised in Florida. Uh, The Cuyahoga River caught on fire. It was so polluted. They were having fish born with two heads. I mean, it was it was bad. And the concern, the long term effects of exposure to chemicals in the water is a big issue. And when you have something like this happen and then you say to people, go back into your homes, it's safe. But then make sure you test the water again. People are not going to bring their children into that. People are saying they've gotten rashes. 
I mean, it's 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 gotten to be huge, and I think it needs to be taken a lot more seriously, and people need to have more in-depth answers. President Biden made a trip to Ukraine. It was a historic trip. Was it worthwhile? What's the political meaning behind this? And is the symbolism a good thing? We'll talk about all of that coming up next.